the Bitterfly Podcast. Knowledge is food, bitches. Eat up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I have Ryan Phillip, yoga and meditation teacher, who is also an intuitive life coach in Maui. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on, Em. I really appreciate it. Honored to be here. Definitely. This is it's crazy to see the transformation that you've made in the time I've known you. Cause I feel like yeah. since we met, you've been like three or four different people. Yeah. Yeah. There was crazy Rico Pico in college. There was kind of still crazy Rico corporate booking out of college. <laughs> and now you live in Maui and you teach yoga. So do you want to just yeah. like tell us about how you got here? Oh man. Um, absolutely. Um, it's been a wild ride for sure. Um, like you said, in college, I was even before college, I was wild. Um, I have always kind of been in big into the party and drinking and drug scene, uh, even back home in Michigan. And then when I moved to Pullman, that just got amplified because it was like Disneyland for (laughs) getting faded. Um, and I was there for five years and it was just out of control. And that was just amplified, you know? And then when I moved to Seattle, um, same thing. I still never really let the uh, frat lifestyle, partying lifestyle, I never really let that go the and three years that I lived in Seattle. Exactly. Instead of being like a poor college student. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, you know, walking distance from all the bars still and, you know, all that good stuff. So it was wild, man. It was wild. But the whole thing was, is, um, it just wasn't working for me anymore. You know, I was literally, I was dying, you know, for 16 years, I relied so heavily on drugs and alcohol on a daily basis. I took my first drink of hard alcohol when I was 16 and blacked out. And I kept blacking out ever since. Uh, I started using cocaine when I was 18 and didn't stop. Um, So I didn't stop drinking and using hardcore drugs until two years ago. So I've, 16 years it's wild to think that I put my body through so much abuse for 16 years and then finally realized that it just wasn't working for me anymore you know I was literally dying physically mentally you know emotionally it was just so many different layers that were just falling apart my life as I knew it was falling apart what was your turning point like did you have a specifically like dark moment or or like a coming to light realization in that dark period yeah there is so many of them like seriously there's there wasn't just one um it was just a combination of so many different ones like sitting there at 6 7 a.m like the last person awake and just sitting there as the sun's coming up and watching people go to work and sitting there like god i'm such a piece of shit what am i doing you know what i mean over and over and over and over again and then just the physical aspect of feeling like shit every single day. You know, I was throwing up. I was like, my stomach was, my stomach was destroyed. You know what I mean? I was, I was like shitting my guts out all the time. I was throwing (laughs) up. I couldn't keep food down. Like I was a mess, man. I remember there was this one time I woke up uh, and I was like, and I had to be to work in just like a couple hours. And I woke up out of bed and I couldn't walk. I like physically couldn't walk. Because the whole weekend, it was like, you know, three days of like hardcore partying and alcohol and drug use, you know, the normal thing that I would do on the weekends. 
And from that, I didn't eat all weekend. And I was like barely drinking water. So when I got up on Monday or Tuesday morning, whatever day it was, I needed to be at work. My legs physically didn't work. I had to like crawl out of bed and I had no food in the house because I didn't really buy food, right? So I like stumbled down the street to 7-Eleven and got like a Slurpee and like a pastry. And that gave me enough sugar and energy to like go home, take a shower and like stagger to work. And I just was like, I cannot keep doing this. Like I would literally be on the bus, like commuting to Bellevue from North Seattle. And I would just be like disgusted with myself. Like, what are you doing? Like, you cannot live like this. And I would see other people at work and I would just like kind of look around. I was like, I'm like, I guarantee nobody else in this office is doing this <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? But it's like, I would hide it so well. Like when I started telling my story and telling people like, you know, that I'm moving to Maui and this transformation and yoga and da 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 da, people were like, I had no idea, you know, unless they were like, they knew me outside of work. And I was like, yeah, I hit it very well. But it got to the point where I couldn't hide it anymore. So you moved to Maui in with yeah. a friend who's also a nutritionist and mm-hmm. fitness coach. And you guys yep. started a healthy foods company called Jerf. What does that Jerf stand Life. for? Jerf Life. Yeah. Yeah. At first it was Jerf Bros. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was too bro So it changed it to Jerf Life because it is more of a lifestyle, right? So what is um, J-E-R-F? just eat real food okay so that is like our our mantra here because that is like one of the first things that got me to where i am like it starts with one thing that i always like to say that me and my roommate john like to say shout out to john kemp uh my soul brother my homie thank you for showing me the way bro um it strengthen the body, strengthen the mind, strengthen the spirit, right? So in order for you to strengthen the body, you have to nourish the body, nourish your temple. And all the shit that I was putting in my body was poison. So by just eating real food, by first of all, removing the alcohol and drugs, and then removing all the processed food, processed sugars, gluten, um, lectins, things like that, things that um, are even labeled as health foods, you know, they have so many things out in our stores and the way things are marketed like organic yeah organic what that doesn't mean that it's good for you or um non-gmo or um what's the other word i'm looking for like all these buzzwords that try and instill natural zero sugar yeah all natural (laughs) like what does that even mean like all natural what all natural chemicals organic is the word that has been thrown around and like I feel like given so much like weight, but it truly uh-huh. like, what does that even mean anymore? Well, because in the, the thing, cause I still eat animal products, you know, I, I intuitively started eating less and less. Um, I did try vegan for a little bit. It didn't work for me. Um, but I still, I still eat animal products. And one big thing that I noticed, especially with meats is that's labeled as organic, like organic chicken. Yeah, but organic what? Because you, it's not, you are what you eat, you are what your food eats. So if your food is eating garbage, you are in turn eating garbage, you know? So if your food is eating organic corn and corn is GMO, you are ingesting that corn or organic wheat or whatever, it's still garbage, you know? In my opinion, wheat, gluten, corn, soy, all those things are 
terrible for you. And there's, you know, scientific data to back that up, but that's like a whole nother episode. Um, but yeah, it's like, if you are ingesting the garbage that your food is ingesting, that food is turning into you. So that is your makeup after you ingest it, right? Yeah. One thing you told me in the past is that food is information for your body, which I thought Absolutely. was just such an interesting way to think about food. You know, mm-hmm. I've always thought about it as fuel, but it it's really more information. It tells you how to feel and how Absolutely. to operate. Absolutely. So if you think about it like food is information, what kind of information are you putting in your body? Because if you're putting in bullshit information, you're going to be giving out bullshit information. I mean, just anybody who's listening, just try jerfing for two weeks guaranteed you feel better than not jerfing. I mean, it's like you are the experiment. You know, you try these different things and you see what works for you and what doesn't. But I guarantee if you jerf for two weeks, you're going to feel a difference. And if you don't, right? Oh my God, let's make jerf a noun. Everybody start jerfing. (laughs) Start jerfing. Jerf life. Jerf hard. Yes. I'm jerfing off right now. (laughs) I'm going to start jerfing today. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of skipped ahead, but do you want to go back and describe like your journey to Hawaii? Like you were living in Renton, right? At the time. And you decided like, this isn't working for me. And so then what did you do? Just call up John and say, Hey, like I need a place to land or like, did something, you know, inside of you, like pull you to Hawaii, like intuitively. Um, I, like I said, had just a ton of those moments. Like what, what am I doing? Like, you know, even the comparative outer world, looking at other people that I graduated with, like people are buying houses, people are buying cars, people are starting families. And yeah, it wasn't so much the material aspect, but it was just more the growth. Seeing these people that I used to party with, seeing these people that I used to hang out with on a regular basis and seeing them grow. And I'm kind of still in that same rut, like, oh yeah, let's party on the weekends. And people are like, well, you know, I kind of got like family shit to do now. You know what I mean? (laughs) And nothing nothing like, um, okay, I got to go start a family, but it's like something has to change. So I reached out to John and this is something that I wanted to do for months. You know, I kept me and John, and just to kind of give you a little context on us, we were both K-SIGs back at Wazoo. So we knew each other for a while. Um, The whole time that I went to college, you know, he was one of the first people that I started hanging out with, um, him and Jer. And it was just interesting to see his transformation after college. And I kind of followed him as well. He's always been really big into health and fitness, nutrition, um, all that kinds of stuff. So, you know, he's always had good advice as far as um, the human organism, very, very, very knowledgeable, very well-versed in that realm. And, you know, I was following him still after college and, you know, we kept in loose contact. And then finally I was like, I got to do this. So I reached out to him. And if it was, if I wanted to work with anybody, it was going to be him. Um, because of his wealth of knowledge and because I trusted him, you know, he's a good friend and I knew that he would um, get me to where I needed to be, but I had no clue that I would be going to Maui eventually. So um, I reached out to him via Facebook and was just like, hey, bro, I am in desperate need of some help. And this is like a complete desperate cry for help, like your cliche, like I'm going to die if I don't get help, you know? And he was like, okay, well, how healthy do you want to be? That was his question to me. And I was like, I want to be like all the way. I'm Take me there. I'm ready. And he was like, all right. Like, if you're ready to commit, then we'll do this. So we hopped on a consultation call, um, chatted it up for an hour, hour and a half. And 
I had no foundation built. You know, I didn't know shit about nutrition. I didn't know anything about physical movements, uh, about mobility, about strength training, none of that. So we had to completely start from the ground up. So um, it started with jerfing. That was like the first week was just jerf. So I started going to Trader Joe's and just buying all whole organic foods, uh, fresh fruits and veggies, uh, grass-fed beef, free-range chicken, all that good stuff, and just started slowly replacing all the garbage that I had in the house with whole foods and instantly felt a difference after the first week. Um, and then we started moving into body weight movements. So that was like a lot of, you know, push-ups, uh, a lot of um, lunges, a lot of controlled articular rotations just to get my joints moving in a healthy way. Um, a lot of conditioning. So getting the heart rate up, speed steps, and then pausing, and then getting the heart rate back up again, and then pausing. So high intensity interval training. Um, and a lot of yoga, I specifically asked him for yoga. I said, I want you to teach me yoga. Um, it just called to me. So that was a really interesting thing because it was like my focus was on yoga. I was like, I need you to teach me this. So he slowly started incorporating these yoga asana. Asana is just the Sanskrit word for poses so or postures. So he started teaching me these different yoga poses and I began to start creating my own flows and started doing this with enjoyment and, and, and devotion. That is what really sparked my growth it's like the more he would give me, the more I would ask for. So I started really, really getting into this. It completely changed my lifestyle in a very short amount of time. And that was, you know, the physical aspect of it. And then after I started diving down that rabbit hole for a few months, slowly came the spirituality aspect of it. Well, let me pause on that. It came the educational aspect of it. Um, he gave me access to his Audible account. I started, you know, reading all these amazing books. I started with um, like nutrition books, like David, Dr. David Polmutter. Highly recommend reading his book, Grain Brain. Uh, it talks about gluten and all the adverse effects of wheat and gluten on the human organism. And then uh, Brain Maker, which is his follow-up to that. And that talks all about how to create a healthy microbiome and how everything starts in the gut. And then Blue Zone Solutions, Blue Zone Projects. That was a really interesting read about all these different areas around the world that are called blue zones. That oh, I love the, learning about blue zones. Right? Isn't all, it cool? Yeah, we can all learn from blue zones. Why, why is Absolutely. it that like one in three people live to be centenarians there? What's up with exactly. those communities? Yeah, yeah. Isn't it cool? Yeah. So I really, um, I really dove down that rabbit hole for a little bit and was really focused on nutrition and really learning. And another great one was, um, oh, what's his name? Dr. Stephen Gundry. Um, he has a book called The Plant Paradox, um, you know, and just kind of I'll briefly touch on that. He talks about lectins and how lectins have an adverse effect on the human organism because a lectin is a sticky plant protein found in nightshades. And when we eat the nightshades, um, nightshades are like tomatoes and eggplants and, peppers, and um, right? squash, peppers, things like that. And it's more so the seeds than the membrane, but the lectins um, get into our system and they're not digested. So they poke holes in our intestine walls or our intestine lining, I should say. And then by doing so, that allows the toxins and fecal matter and stuff to get out into our bloodstream. 
And then once it's out into our bloodstream, where does it go? It goes to the heart, it goes to the brain, it goes to other vital organs in our body, which causes dis-ease and causes pain in the body, causes depression, causes obesity, all kinds of things, but that's not talked about openly, right? Um, so, you know, it takes that willingness to dive down these rabbit holes. And then I remove leptin from my diet. I'm like, wow, I feel a huge difference in my GI tract. I don't feel so bloated, so gassy. You know, I feel better. I feel more in harmony, in balance when I don't eat lectins or when I don't eat gluten or when I don't eat processed sugar. So I just stuck with that and I just continued to refine my diet and it's an ever-changing thing. It's just not, okay, I removed gluten, I'm healed. It's, you know, refining that process and finding what you do enjoy and not just doing it because it was in a book or because somebody told you it's good. But like I said before, you are the experiment, experiment on yourself. So you went through the educational process and mm -hmm. this led you to some sort of spirituality um. Absolutely. Absolutely. So after I'd say shoots five, six months, um, you know, of really getting into my body and learning about my body. And by this time, like the weight started falling off, like immediately I started losing 10 pounds a month. And by, uh, by the seventh month, I was 70 pounds down. Like I, I couldn't even recognize myself. I was, I was lean. I was, you know, shredded in a sense. <laughs> I was fit. I was just well. I was being well, well-being, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just one day I was like on my way to the gym or something, just walking to the gym um, from my house. And at this time, like you said, I had moved to Renton. So I moved out of the house in Finney, then I moved to Renton, much quieter away from the city, had my own little room in like the corner of a co-worker's basement, beautiful little space. And it was just solitude, you know, and I've never experienced that before. I've never experienced, I mean, it was a quiet home. There was no drinking, no drugs. You know, it was just, it was in harmony. It was a small little place and it was just beautiful. And through that, I was able to find stillness and find um, silence and solitude, something that I never experienced before. And that in itself was so powerful. But I was like walking to the gym one day and I'm like scrolling through the audible and it was like um, the way of the Buddha was one of the books. I was like, oh, let me listen to this. And I started listening to the way of the Buddha and it was the author talking about removing greed, hate and delusion from your life. And, and I'm thinking in my head like shit, like that's like all these teachings and all these things that they were saying about the Buddha, I'm like, I'm doing that you know, without any reference to, you know, Buddhism or any, any spiritual teachings. I'm like, wow, I'm doing this right now. Like I'm being kinder. I'm being more caring. I'm being more compassionate. It's I'm, almost like you, you taking know. better care of yourself translated to you, you know, wanting to take better care of everything. A thousand percent, a thousand percent. And I started to realize like, damn, I'm doing this. And kind of, as I started diving down more of those texts and more of those teachings, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to help others. I actually, this was a really, it was funny. I was at work and it was a straight up cliche aha moment. I was sitting at my desk and I looked out the window and 
I just was like, there's got to be more to life than this. You know, I had a good job, you know, quote unquote good, because what's good? You know, it's, it's all up to you, whatever it is. And I had a, let's just say a steady job with steady income, because that's what it was at the end of the day, because I wasn't happy. Um, and I sat there and I was like, what am I doing with my life? There well, has to like, be more. We're fed this lie that like, if you just have, you know, enough money and a solid job that like happiness will come. And that's not always true. Exactly. The white picket yeah. fence and two kids and the mate. And it's like, that's not what I really want. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was sitting there looking out the window and I was like, there's got to be more to life. You know, there has to be more. And by calling that in, they're like, okay, the universe is like, I'm going to show you there's more to life, <laughs> you know? And I, you know, started writing things down. I started journaling. That was a big part of it. And, you know, on the next call, because me and John, you know, we would go through phases. It'd be like phase one, it was one month. Phase two, it was two months. And we kept progressing the movements and kept progressing the educational pieces and kept progressing the nutrition and things like that. So I just kept getting better, you know? And then by the time we were on like month five or six, you know, I told him, I was like, hey man, um, I just want to let you know that, I want to become a coach. I want to help people. I want to be a nutritionist. I want to do all the things that you're doing. I want to do that because I want to show people that were, that were or are afflicted by addiction and alcoholism and drug use and just overall unwell. I want to show them that there's a way. And I want to show people that if I can do it, anybody can fucking do it, right? So I really wanted to be that beacon for people, you know, and that's when, and when I verbally affirm that, that is when a big transition happened. That was when my heart opened. That was when, you know, my body was open to receive this information from the universe. So it was a very, very visceral experience that I had one day. I was doing my practice in the basement, my, you know, strength training, mobility, yoga practice. And I could feel like this, the only way I can describe it is mystic. I could feel like this mysticism and this energy around me that I've never felt before. And I just kept getting the download to go meditate. And I, you know, really didn't, well, actually, no, I had already kind of started meditating through an app. I started using, I forgot what app it was, but it was just very basic. Just do a body scan from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and back up again and breathe. That's it. And I started doing that every day. And as that progressed, that led me to literally running home after work and like kicking my shoes off like a child and like ready to go play after school. You know what I mean? And I would like run in my room and turn on my oil diffuser and turn the lights off and just sit in front of my little altar and meditate. And like I have started having like these cosmic openings, like light started pouring into my head. And I just like, like was magnetized and I would like lift up from the crown and it was just wild just having these just completely just I can't even describe it just these cosmic openings is the best way I can describe it started having these experiences and started talking to the universe you know and big downloads and messages that I was getting was to get out in nature um so me and my buddy from Wazoo actually Jerry shout out to Jer we started going on hikes every weekend so we started going on hikes and then I remember one day he was like, Hey dude, like I got these shrooms, let's eat these shrooms and go on a hike. I'm like, yeah. And this was the first time 
when I used mushrooms as a sacred medicine, you know what I mean? And put intentions into them and allowed them to be a guide more so than I'm going to take these shrooms and get fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think a lot of people like mushrooms for like the colors they think they're going to see and the hallucinations. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I've always felt like it's showing you maybe not a portal, but it's looking at life through a different lens. You're seeing things that like you couldn't articulate in the sober mind. And like, what exactly. can we learn from that? Yeah. And I was out in the forest and I just got like the best way I can describe it. And I can, I'm just like visualizing this right now is I tuned in to the sound of the forest and I was the conductor and I was just like playing the symphony of the forest. And oh I was my just God, walking that's through. Beautiful. <laughs> and that's like the, like, and then all of a sudden I just, just You're like, got all right, lost. birds crescendo. In. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like the leaves. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, with my little wand that was imaginary, <laughs> just like playing the, conducting the symphony of the forest. And next thing you know, I just got like sucked into this vortex and two and a half hours later, I, because I don't, and I don't remember anything that happened in that two and a half hours. And the next thing I came out of it and I'm like standing on a tree stump, like literally hugging a tree. And I look down 50 yards down and my buddy's doing the same thing. Yeah, and his man. dog is between us looking at us like, what the fuck is going on with these two guys? Oh, I've been and there. Sometimes it's just really nice to like be near a tree. You can almost like yeah. feel its age and its wisdom. It's wisdom. Yes. Yes. And that was, you know, a huge turning point for me as well, because it was just like, okay, there's so much more out here. Let's keep digging. And, you know, I had, couple more experiences the same way. And I had a really, really, really wild experience with DMT, um, you know, walking through the forest with my same buddy, um, just, you know, intentionally, intentionally utilizing these medicines to expand consciousness. That's what it was. And, you know, I went through a whole process of birth and redeath on the forest floor and it was wild. And I remember coming out of that experience and turning to my buddy, I was like, holy shit, that was the most intense hour and a half, two hours of my life. He was like, bro, that was like 20 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit, man. And, you know, then I kind of stepped away from the plant medicine for a while because I was like, okay, I received the information that I need to receive. Let's, let's do this without the plant medicine. Exactly. It's something that you don't need to do like a prescription. It, it's like exactly. use it for what it's necessary for, you know, like realize what you mm -hmm. need to from it and then like don't abuse it. It's not a party drug. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's a tool. Exactly. It's a tool. 100%. You got it. And, um, you know, that, that was another huge shift. And then <clears throat> I was, you know, by that point, I was like full in, like, let's go. Like, what what else do you have to show me? Would you explain to listeners what are the different kinds of meditation? Like, what are the main groups and which one do you prefer? Um, That's a very loaded question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, but I'll, I'll give you, you know, my answer. So there's there's no right or wrong way to meditate, right? There's no, there's so many different forms in my with my experience with meditation, the best form is the one that you enjoy. Um, because there's this 
in my opinion, there's this stigma or this dogma around meditation that it has to be done a certain way, that you have to sit down with your legs crossed and your fingers in a mudra and you have to chant and you have to light your incense and ring the bell and you have to do all this stuff. Yes, that's a form. And I participate in that myself, but meditation is just practicing presence. Be here now. Ram Das said it best. RIP Ram Das. Thank you for your teachings. He said it best. Just be here now. And by practicing meditation, another stigma around meditation, people are like, oh, it's going to, you, you got to stop your thoughts. You're never going to be able to stop your thoughts. The mind is always thinking. You can calm the mind, you can slow it down, but you're never going to be able to stop it. And when you practice meditation, and you can just be sitting in your chair, staring off into the distance. That's meditation. Meditation is just being present in whatever you're doing. Painting, dancing, that one-pointed focus, that one thing that has your attention and you are fully consumed and engulfed in it, that you lose track of time. Many people refer to it as the flow state. The flow. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's whatever gets you into that state is meditation, you know? That is meditation, pure presence, focusing on the present moment, not concerned about what happened in the past and not thinking to the future. It's just pure presence. And finding those little pockets of presence throughout the day, just even for five, 10 seconds is beautiful. When you're cooking, when you're taking a shower, you can meditate doing anything, it sounds like. Anything. But when you really sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to be still for 15 minutes. I'm just going to be still. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to close my eyes and I'm just going to allow the thoughts to come and go without attaching to anything, without grasping for without anything, judgment, without judgments and just allowing things to come and go. That's meditation, you know? And obviously there's different layers to it. There's different forms of meditation, like chanting and, you know, um, uh, kirtan is the form of kind of call and response singing. That's very meditative. There's just so much. Um, but for me personally, I practice Kriya meditation. That is my most enjoyable form of, well, one of the most enjoyable forms of meditation that I practice. And that is... What is Kriya? So yeah, yeah Kriya just means action. So, you know, if you're, if you're living... Let me, let me stop for a second. Let me come back to that. So if when you're practicing Kriya, Kriya means action. You are actively removing old cellular memories from your body. And then the other end of that is karma. When you're living in those memories or practicing karma yoga, which is doing good deeds and having compassion towards others and just overall being a balanced person and living your truth and practicing good deeds and doing all these good things. That is karma yoga. Kriya yoga is taking the action to remove those memories from your, from your being. So it's different breathing techniques, pranayama uh, breathing techniques, different chanting, um, and then just stillness, you know? So I practice that just about every day. It's been such a blessing to be able to have been initiated into Kriya Yoga. I have a really good friend here on the island. Her name is uh, Corinne Vakito. Shout out to Corinne. She's awesome. Um, she is a Sattva Yoga master. So Sattva Yoga is an integrative practice that involves Kriya and Kundalini and then 
her guru or her master's own um, practices that are integrated into there. So she initiated me into Kriya Yoga in January, and I've been practicing consistently since then. And the growth and expansion that I have had on not just a physical level, but on a level of consciousness has been wild. It's like it expands your consciousness and allows you to see things in a different way, allows you to receive these messages from other dimensions and literally allows you to traverse the cosmos. You know what I mean? All within yourself. And it's, it's some of the stuff, it's like, it's, it's beyond words. You can't really explain it until you actually practice it. Can I practice Kriya Yoga? How do I get, do I have to be initiated like in the deaf community when like you can't just give yourself a name sign, like someone who's deaf must give it to you? Is that like, can I just start doing Kriya Yoga or do I need a friend? So, and that's a, that is a, such a great question because it depends on what lineage you go to. Like, like my roommate, John, he had this whole awakening and this whole path by teaching himself. He taught himself everything, you know, YouTube, books, um, lectures, papers, everything. He did all of this himself, taught himself Kriya just by, you know, watching other teachers and, and, and taking classes or whatever the case is, he taught himself. Me, I was initiated by a friend who is a master of the practice. So you don't have to be initiated, but the thing about this practice was I was very scattered in my meditation practice before I got initiated. I was doing all these different things, you know, listening to, you know, all these different teachers saying all these different mantras, um, you know, all these different practices that weren't so cohesive together. They were all great practices, but they didn't really mesh together. And I was very scattered in my practice. So by reaching out to her and having her provide me with one practice that was integrative and that I could kind of mold to my own, tailor it to my specific person has been more beneficial than searching and trying all these different practices. I was able to say, okay, here's everything that I need in one little package, and then I can refine that as I go. Kriya is also uh, a form of movement practices um, that decarbonize the blood, that, like I said before, release old cellular memory. Um, and another thing is people believe that karma is is one thing, like it's it's your past lives, which in a sense it is, but karma is just memories. It's just old memories stored within you that need to be released. And by practicing Kriya, you're able to release these memories on a cellular level and then take in new information, process that, and then allow that to go. So it's like, um, it's like a rocket ship to, and I don't like to use this word, but it's like a rocket ship to enlightenment. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like I said, I really don't. Why don't you, why don't you like to use the word enlightenment? What's a better word for enlightenment then? Alignment for sure. For sure. Alignment or self-realization is a word that I like to use. Um, God realization. Why do you not like enlightenment? When you say enlightenment, like, oh, I know, I'm enlightened or I've reached enlightenment. You kind of, I feel like you're putting yourself on a pedestal and you're like kind of saying that you're better than everyone else. I just, I don't know. I don't really like the stigma around the word enlightenment. 
I guess enlightenment kind of insinuates that like your journey is done. I have like reached something and we're continuing. You're never done basically. And it's like, Oh, I learned that lesson. Now it's time for the next lesson or it's time to learn that lesson again in a different way. Because if you look at it, this is how I like to look at it. Like the journey that we're on, the spiritual journey, the life journey, whatever you want to call it, it's a spiral. It's like a spiral staircase and you start at the bottom and as you work your way around one spiral, then it gets bigger and then you continue to work your way up this never ending spiral. And it's, it's just learning the same lessons over and over in different ways and just coming back to it in a new way. Do you think that the universe serves like the same lesson over and over again in different flavors until you learn it or you realize, you know, the, the lesson has that happened in your life? Do you think some of my biggest lessons have been, um, detachment detachment is a big one because, um, not just me, but a lot of the, a lot of the world population, we get attached to things outside of us. And we think if we have this or we accomplish this, then we will be at the end game. Like you said, we have reached the goal or we have reached whatever, like, Oh, once I have the girlfriend, I'll be in a better place. Once I have that new house, I'll be in a better place. Once I have that new job or that new car, I'll be healed or I'll be this or I'll be that. But at the end of the day, you know, we attach to these things and that's not it. It's inside. Once we're able to realize that everything that we want, need, desire is inside of us, then that is when the magic happens. And we're able to take the seat of the quiet observer then rather than take the seat of the grasping individual that just wants more and needs more and is looking outside at all these external things to find happiness. And that actually brings me to a really cool point um, because there's this one, I don't know if you're familiar with Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, but- No, not at all. Please explain. (laughs) To make it a little easily understandable, it's a bunch of different scriptures, for lack of a better word that is like a blueprint to living your most aligned life. Um, So it's all these different sutras that when brought together, because this one sutra is, it may have a huge impact on your life. You know, some people read one or two sutras and they're like, damn, that's what I needed. Can you share with us a few of the sutras? Yeah. So where I was going with that is, the first sutra in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras is Atha Yoga Anasasanam. And that means now yoga begins. Um, and what that means is that after we have tried everything, after we have tried purchasing everything, purchasing the house, purchasing the car, after we've tried you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, after we've tried everything that we think is going to bring us happiness and we realize that none of that shit is going to bring us happiness, that's when yoga begins. That is when the journey inward begins. And people think that yoga is just the physical aspect. That is one part of it. And that is an important part of it, a very important part of it, because it gets 
the physical aspect of yoga, the asana, the postures, the poses, prepares your body for meditation because it prepares you to be able to sit for extended periods of time in stillness and in silence without moving, without fidgeting. Because if you're sitting there and you're constantly fidgeting and you're moving and you're in pain and you're uncomfortable, you're not going to be able to calm the mind because the mind is going to be attaching to, oh, my shoulder hurts or, oh, my spine hurts or, you know, it's going to be attaching to all these different things. Yeah, I've always enjoyed like the movement aspect of yoga, like the stretching mm -hmm. and the breath work. But I just recently begun to realize that I could get so much more out of it, like taking it in like a meditation approach. Instead of just like, I'm going to like stretch and this is a movement exercise. Yoga, like the asana part of it, is just one of the eight limbs. You know, there's there's more to it than just the physical aspect of yoga. And I really think, in my opinion, that is what Patanjali is trying to say in that first sutra is once you realize that the external factors aren't working, then the journey inward begins. And that's yoga because yoga means union. Yoga means to yoke. So once you, when you start to begin that journey of self-realization, of God realization, realizing that God lies within each and every one of us, that is when, that's when shit starts to happen, man. (laughs) You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing to, to have experienced thus far is that, you know, once I realized that the drinking and the drugs and chasing girls and, you know, all of this unhealthy stuff was just leading me down a path to, you know, an early grave, you know, that is when yoga began for me. That's when the journey inward began and it's been beautiful. I don't know if the Buddha actually said this, but this is one of my like favorite quotes. The Buddha was asked, what have you gained from meditation? And he replies, nothing. But then he continues. However, let me tell you what I've lost. Anger, anxiety, depression, insecurity, and fear to, fear of old age or death. Thousand percent, thousand percent. And what you just said, the last part, death, losing that fear of death is so powerful because we've been conditioned and that's all this is, is, is conditioning. And the biggest part for me and all of this say, all of this stuff I'm saying, I just want to like throw this out as a disclaimer. This is my personal experience with yoga. So, you know, it's all individual to the person. So everything that I'm saying here is just my personal experience. It's not the end all be all. Um, so I think it's really important when what you just said about losing the fear of death because we've been conditioned to believe that, a lot of us anyway, that we have to live a certain way and do all these things before we die or we're gonna go to hell. Or we're gonna go, you know, to, you know, we're gonna suffer. It's definitely like a fear stance. It's a fear perspective. It's Um, fear-based, it's fear-based. And the only things certain in life are what taxes, pandemics and and death. (laughs) Pandemic for sure. Yeah, and the thing about death is, um, actually, John Lennon said this, and I think this is such a fire quote. It was like, death is just getting out of one car and getting into the next. That's all it is. You're just switching cars. You know what I mean? Because you, you know, these bodies that we have are just on loan. Like, they're going to be gone. You can't take anything with you. You can't take anything with you, but (laughs) what, what stays is the soul, the life force, 
what is inside of us, the God within us, the source within us is eternal. So the outside projection of us, the physical aspect in all of its divinity is beautiful, but what lies inside the unseen, the energy, the life force behind this body is what is eternal. And once we tap into that, we're able to create beautifully just by doing these practices and just by being, we're able to reacquaint ourselves basically with a long lost friend. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Do you want to talk about the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system? Because I kind of think that we're all just drowning in our sympathetic nervous system most of the time, which is like our fight or flight, our fast mode, our body preparing for intensity, especially during a pandemic. Like I've been on edge, you know, a lot. And that's why I turned to meditation recently. So like, how does meditation tap into that? And like, what do you, do you think we're drowning most of the time? I think a lot of people are, absolutely. I think the majority of people are running around and not even knowing, you know, just unconsciously because they don't openly teach this stuff to us. You know, they don't want us to know this stuff. And once again, I'm just speaking from my own personal opinion and my own personal experience, but that's why we have to do stuff like this. That's why we have to go down these rabbit holes so we can find out more information. But most of us are and I once was as well running around in a sympathetic state, like you said, fight or flight, Um, you know, shallow breath, rapid heartbeat on edge. Our nervous system is uneasy. You know, a lot of people um, acquire tremors or the shakes or the trembles and things like that, sweating, Um, just all this unease and dis-ease in the body. And most of us are running around like that most of the time, especially us as Americans, we are in such a fast pace, do, 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 go, 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 more, more, more society. So, you know, you have these people that are working 50 plus hours a week. You have people that are like, okay, I got to commute to work. I got to work. I got to go home. I got to get the kids. I got to cook dinner. I got to prepare for the next day before this day is even over with. It's almost been romanticized too, like this workaholic life. Like there's something sexy about a person who just go, go, goes. And people are almost where I would say like it with pride, the fact that, oh, I can't sit still. I don't know like what that means. I feel uncomfortable. 100%. 100%. You hit it with that one. Humans aren't supposed to live like that. No. And it's like, I think a really good one was Dr. Joe Dispenza. He says, you know, we sleep in a box, we sleep on a box, we wake up in a box, we drive to work in a box, we sit all day in a box, looking at a box, we drive back home in a box, we eat out of a box, we watch a box, and then we go lay back down in a box. It's like our whole life has been compartmentalized to a box. And when we step out of the box and realize, fuck, I've been duped this whole time, (laughs) then you kind of start to create your own reality. You do start to create your own reality. And I feel like that is a big importance of the parasympathetic nervous system, which many refer to as rest and digest. And I like to add create and enjoy. This is a really big thing that I bring into my classes when I teach. I start each of my yoga classes with a guided meditation. So I'll have um, the students laid out on like a bolster or something, something just to give the heart a little elevation to open the heart. And then we drop into the breath. Um, get them into what is referred to as ujjayi breathing. It's just a slight restriction of the top of the throat, breathing in through the nose, out through the nose. And by bringing the breath 
over a tone throat top, it creates this gentle, almost ocean whisper sound. And that allows you to bring the senses inward and not focus so much on the outer comparative world, but bring yourself inward. It almost acts as a distraction. In uh, yogic terms, they call it pratyahara or withdrawing of the senses. So you're bringing the senses inward, slow the heart rate, slow the breath and come inwards, encourage them to go deeper and deeper with each layer and just feel into the heart space. Or sometimes we'll focus on different chakras, different energy centers and have them breathe into those energy centers and what that may represent or visualize color or visualize their ideal day or whatever it is that I'm feeling or channeling that day. That is what I utilize for a meditation, for a guided meditation at the beginning of class. And that really encourages them to find that parasympathetic state. And then by encouraging them to follow the breath throughout the practice, it continues to keep them in that parasympathetic state, even though they're moving their bodies and the heart rate may be increased and the breath may be increased. It's like, come back to the breath, slow it down, bring it back to fullness, notice if it's gone shallow. Um, you know, just playing awareness games, what my teacher Jennifer Lynn says, shout out to Jennifer, you are an amazing soul, thank you. Um, she calls it awareness games, and just by bringing attention to just small parts of the body, like when we're, when we're moving through our uh, flow in class, it's like check in with the forehead, is it all wrinkled and tight, we'll smooth it out like a silk bed sheet. Um, check in with the jaw, is it clenched together, is it tight, we'll add some space in between the top and bottom rows of teeth. Check in with the tongue. Is it glued to the roof of the mouth? Then take the tip of the tongue, place it gently behind the two front teeth and watch how that magically allows the tongue to melt off the roof of the mouth. Turn the corners of the mouth upward, you know? Mm -hmm. Things like that, just those small awareness games, it changes. It changes who you are with consistent and devoted and loving practice. What kind of uh, body benefits do you think come from when you start to you know on a daily or weekly basis activate your parasympathetic nervous system which conserves energy slows your heart rate increases intestinal gland activity relaxes your muscles but when you're not doing that would you say that there are still benefits that can be seen you know like the rest of your day the rest of your week yeah absolutely um because just like just like any practice after a while you're going to reap the benefits of it. And what I like to say is it's not that you realize like, oh, I'm better because of this, but you realize a month or two later, like, holy shit, I'm not doing that old pattern that I used to do. I'm not using that language anymore. I'm not, you notice what you're not doing anymore instead of like, oh, this is making me better. I feel great. It's like, holy shit, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, yeah, yay me. You know, and then it just gets deeper and deeper. And then you're like, okay, I'm not in this relationship anymore. I'm not hanging out with these people anymore. I'm taking better care of myself. And it's like, you kind of see this domino effect of well-being just by playing those awareness games and showing up. That's the thing. You just show up for yourself. By continually showing up for yourself, you're showing up for others. In turn, showing up for the collective, you know? Mm. So that kind of I kind of veered off a little bit but but definitely when it comes to being in a parasympathetic state more so than a sympathetic state I'm able to handle challenging situations much better I respond instead of react 
So if somebody comes at me with all this craziness, you know, like my old job or something like that, or somebody sends me a text message or an email and they're all fired up, I would just used to be quick to respond to that and then, you know, kind of fuel the fire and it would go back and forth. Now, sometimes I don't even respond to people for a day or two because I want to get right energetically first and make sure that I am in a in a state to respond to them without without reaction, without judgment, without separation, and kind of see where they're coming from, you know, play that, play both sides of the fence and allow myself to, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I get that. This is my response to that instead of, oh yeah, you're wrong. Fuck that. Blah, blah, blah. It's increasing your understanding and rationale. It sounds like. Exactly. I think that has been for me, one of the biggest things of remaining or staying in a parasympathetic state more so than a sympathetic state, for sure. I feel like with a pandemic going on right now, there's this whole like move towards like health and wellness and mental health is being talked about so much more. It seems like there's like a great awakening happening in the consciousness and the hearts and the minds Mm -hmm. of of a lot of people I know. And I kind of just feel in general, like the world is in some ways waking up. Do you feel that way? thousand percent it's happening um people are waking up to number one themselves because one thing that this pandemic has done is it's slowed people way down you know many people have lost their jobs many people are now forced to be in their homes and they don't have all of these things to do this to-do list So they're able to just be. That's something I've been thinking about so much is it seems like there's a lot of reflecting going on just in general. The like the present is pretty mundane, Uh like considering, you know, how fast it used to be. And the future is a little bit questionable. So it seems like a lot of people are focusing on their past, their traumas, Mm -hmm. their regrets. I've myself received a a number of apologetic texts. I think I've sent a few too of people from years ago where it's like, I don't even remember, dude, but yeah, I forgive you. You know, it's no problem. Yes. Um, there's reflection in the air that I think is yep. fueling the great awakening. Yeah. And I've done that. I, that's so funny. You say that I've sent out so many messages to, you know, old lovers and old girlfriends and stuff like that. Just like, Hey, you know, I'm sorry. I was a fucking asshole. You know, I'm sorry please forgive me. You know, I'm not here to make up excuses and say why I did what I did, but I am acknowledging that I did that and please forgive me. You know, we don't have to be friends. You don't even have to respond, you know, but this is just me wanting to acknowledge that I was a shitty person. And I've done that on so many different levels, um, family, friends, girlfriends, whatever, you know, and to myself, you know, forgiving myself for being a POS, you know, I was, you know, I was a really shitty person for a while. We have all been assholes, like all yeah. of us. And yeah. I think this, like the the one good thing coming out of this, like reflection quarantine, stay at home time is, is this like waking up to yep. forgive others as well as ourselves. And it's funny that you said that because I feel like that is the hardest part. It's really easy in comparison for me to send a text to someone else. You know, I'm really sorry that I was a toxic person in your life, but it's like, how do I send that text to myself, you know, and like forgive myself? Like we're not really taught how to do that. Yeah. 
I actually, um, there's a practice and it's a beautiful practice and I won't get too much into it, but I encourage anybody who's listening or even yourself, Em, to take a look into it. Um, there is um, a practice in ancient Hawaiian, it's called Ho'oponopono. And um, Dr. Um, Ihaliafala Hugh Len, he is an absolute wizard. He wrote a book called Zero Limits and it is all about working on an internal level. And basically it's the ancient Hawaiian way of clearing karma and releasing those old cellular memories. And it is, there's a mantra or a prayer that goes with it. And it's uh, thank you, I love you, please forgive me, I'm sorry. And, you know, when I first started practicing this, you know, it was just the words. It's a great way just to start, just with the words. And as you continue to say this mantra or this prayer throughout your day or dedicate, you know, a certain amount of time just to sit there and kind of say it over and over, then it, the practice, in my opinion, starts to reveal itself to you. And um, then as I'm like sitting there, different people faces and experiences would start to pop into my memory. And as those people and experience and time spaces would come into my, come into my, um, my thoughts or my mind, I would sit there with that person, you know, in my mind, looking at them in their face or that situation or that unhappiness or anger or whatever, and to just repeat that over and over to them. And my teacher, Jennifer, she says, when you do this, sit and say, I thank you, or say, you know, thank you. Now, what does thank you feel like? Now say, I love you. What does I love you feel like? Say, please forgive me. What does please forgive me feel like? Say, I'm sorry. What does I'm sorry feel like? And then you sit there in that and just allow whatever comes to come and allow whatever goes to go. And I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful practice. I'm actually right now, um, taking an online course in Ho'oponopono. So soon I will be a certified Ho'oponopono practitioner. But in my opinion, I think the most, the juice of it comes from just practicing and allowing the practice to reveal itself to you. I think the rest of it is just a history and how you can utilize it in different settings. But I think the real thing comes to you individually as you wholeheartedly sit and practice it, you know? And I have been able to clear a lot of past memories and past karma through that practice, even with myself. It's time to move forward. I love that. We need to tell ourselves mm -hmm. that more. So moving on to your latest venture, now that you've had, you know, all these experiences with yoga and meditation and educating yourself, you're becoming a, well, you've already become an intuitive life coach. Can you tell us yeah. about what what that means how does that differ from a regular life coach and how would we get started if we wanted to come to you for help yeah absolutely so as i have progressed down this path i have really noticed um a huge heightening in my intuition um and my psychic abilities just by different practices and you know by going inward i could go on and on but um, my heightened sense of intuition, I am able to really tap into other people's energetic fields, their auras, their higher being. So what it is, what I'll do is say that me and you 
we're going to sit down for a session. Um, and this can be done remotely. This can be done face to face. Um, but I would just kind of drop in and it's a process and it takes a little bit of time. So I would drop in and I would really connect to your higher self, your true self, your higher being, my higher being connecting to your higher being. And I would start to receive information from your higher being to my higher being as to what it exactly is that you are, I don't like to say this word needing, but what it is that you're looking for or what would help you to optimize your life at this time. And after receiving that information and processing it, um, I would then come up with a formula. We would formulize a plan and then we would review that starting with whatever it is that would help to optimize your life. Could that be like books or like you're telling me to like do certain yoga practices? It could be anything. All the above. Go take a foreign language class. That might help you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What? No, seriously, seriously. Anything that is going to help you on your path. Let's just say, you know, we're talking about it right now. And I'm like, um, the downloads or the messages that I'm getting is that you're looking for a little more structure in your life. You need or you want um, to set aside, you know, an hour a day just for yourself. So I would encourage you to get up in the morning and do an asana practice, maybe 20, 25 minutes of sun salutation to wake up the pranic body, to wake up the energetic body, to loosen up and then maybe sit for 10 minutes, which, you know, a lot of times I like to just call silent sitting because a lot of people that are coming for help don't have a background in meditation, don't have a background in yoga. And it's very intimidating when you start using words like meditation or pranic body and all this stuff like that. So I like to keep it very simple depending on the level of experience that that person has. So then I'm like, okay, then do 10 minutes of silent sitting. And that could just be you sitting on your back porch, looking off into the distance. It doesn't have to be sitting in front of an altar with your legs crossed and fingers in a mudra. And then um, journaling is generally a really big part of it because a lot of people aren't journaling what inspires them. A lot of people are journaling the thoughts that they have, the mind stuff, which there's nothing wrong with that because that's where I started too. Like, I feel this, I want this, I am doing this. But instead of, instead of focusing on that, focus on what inspires you and what is going to bring you to that next level. And then um, a blueprint. A lot of people um, like it when I provide them with a blueprint, like what do you want to have? Who do you want to be? And what do you want to do? And then they reflect on that. And then they build off of that. What I like to call inspired action, you know, waiting for those moments of, ah, I feel like this would be a great time to do this instead of forcing yourself to do these things that aren't enjoyable. What kinds of questions would you ask me if I wanted to hire you as an intuitive life coach before you so before you tap into my energy like what do you need to know so that's a really good question because generally um i will just tap into the person's energy and tell them what i have received and then they're like holy shit that's spot on you know what i mean okay and the biggest thing that what do you do to prepare to drop into someone's energy I have my own little practice that I do. I really, you know, 
create my space and set my space. I'm like right now, like I'm having this conversation with you in my room. I'm very cautious about the energy that enters into this space. I'm very Sounds like you're intentional about your room. Yeah, but keeping the energy confined to my space, not leaking energy and not allowing outside energy to come in unless I'm welcoming it in. I have my little practice that I'll do, my Japa practice, and then um, um, just drop in and receive that transcendental wisdom that I am a vessel for because it's not me doing this. I'm just a vessel for it. It's, you know, whatever you want to call it, God, source, uh, infinite energy, source energy, so many different names, you know, whatever you want to call it, that's what's coming through me. It's not me, you know, from an egoic standpoint saying, I am the coach, I am the healer. No, I'm just opening myself up to receive these messages and this information to share with you so you can in turn do the healing. I'm just a space holder. I'm not a healer per se, because I'm not healing anybody that's egoic. I'm holding a space for you to do your own healing because we're all our own healers. Nobody else is going to fix you or heal you. You're going to do all that yourself. I'm just here to provide the tools and hold the space and encourage you and be someone you can lean on during that process. So it's just taking what I've learned from my teachers and my direct experience, because direct experience is the best teacher. No book or person is going to be able to tell you anything that is going to influence you unless you have that experience. Direct experience is the number one teacher. So I'm just taking my experience and things that I've learned from my teachers and providing them to the next person. And that person, if they so choose, will take that information, dive down their own rabbit hole, and maybe they'll start sharing that information with other people. What I like to say, I can't remember who said it. I think maybe the Buddha said it, but from one, one flame lights a thousand candles. So from that one person, a thousand people find themselves basically oh that's beautiful what do you think the key to mindfulness is presence being present that's it there really is no future and no past all we have is the present that's it the eternal (laughs) law you know and a really good resource on that is Eckhart Tolle if uh if anybody's listening I highly recommend checking him out he is an absolute stud when it comes to presence and I was actually Didn't he write, to a, he wrote the power of now, right? Yep, the power of now. Yeah. He it's he's and he's like comical with it too. He's kind of like he's like an English Mr. Rogers, like a, yeah. a mindful Mr. Rogers. And he's just like kind of goofy and silly about it, but he's so on point and he makes it so digestible when he's talking about it. He's like, you know, you're walking to, I'm walking to the stage to give this lecture, but each step that I take towards the stage or towards my chair is just as important as sitting down in the chair and giving you the lecture like that the steps that you take to wherever you're going is just as important as the end destination because once you get to the end destination it's done then you're focused on the next thing so instead of focusing on the next the next the next the next just focus on the now and just allow everything to unfold now that's not going to say that we're not going to have a calendar or a planner and plan our lives out but just bringing more mindfulness and awareness and attention and focus to the present moment will allow us to connect better to ourselves and to others kind of that resonates with me because I think I used to live especially when I was smoking weed I lived in a state of like 
thinking about what I'm going to do next. And then when I get there, I'm thinking about the next thing. And I was just never fully present in a conversation. I was never fully present um, with, you know, the work I was working on or like what I was doing with my dog. I was just always thinking about the next thing. And when you spend time with people like that, it's very obvious that they are not living in that moment with you, that they're not as attentive. And it just makes life so much richer when we can be present in those moments. And so I think everything that you're saying is like, like largely beneficial to anyone listening. You know, if, if anything, like just taking away, like, like the idea of being still. And it's weird. It's like almost counterintuitive that like, taking moments in your day to do nothing would actually help you be more present in other things that you're doing. Do you have any suggestions for listeners who want to get a deeper sense of mindfulness, but are maybe intimidated by the yoga world, or maybe they're intimidated by like, they just, they don't know how to sit still. Is there any small tips for how you can kind of like slowly work your way into that? What we always say here is um, many paths, one forest, you know, there's one forest, but there's all of us taking our own path to get there, you know? Um, So number one, and this was once again, for me, my direct experience, what worked for me, I had to reach out for help. I had no fucking clue what I was doing. I had to reach out to John, you know? And by reaching out to John, it was such a great thing because he gave me the tools in the blueprint but he never said, okay, now you have to do it like this. It was like, okay, here it is. And then step off. You know what I mean? That's one thing that I would say is for people wanting to take this journey inward, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable, not to be scared of that, but it will be uncomfortable and getting to know yourself because we've been so taken away from ourselves that when we really sit with ourselves, we're like, holy shit, but that's okay. Being uncomfortable with the stillness and with the silence is when the magic happens and we're able to really tap into the heart and allow ourselves to release that old cellular memory, you know, through these different practices and things. But I would say, you know, the best piece of advice that I have for people is to just do it, to reach out to that person, go to that class, um, take that workshop, um, start reading that book, um, whatever you're curious about in the realm of mindfulness, spirituality, nutrition, whatever it is, do it. Take that first step. And if you are really doing this with an open heart and wanting to make that change for the better for yourself and for others, then the universe will guide you. Just ask, ask and it is given. That's the law of the universe. And once we are a vibrational match to what it is that we're asking for, and by becoming a vibrational match, you can do this by just sitting, by just being wholehearted in your intentions and by being still and by being silent and just allowing and receiving instead of forcefully doing, then you will receive those breadcrumbs and then you'll start to follow these breadcrumbs down this trail and you'll end up to where it's most beneficial for you to be. Um, But definitely just take that first step as far as reaching out and um, making things happen. You know, that's the first step is to just doing it. 
And patting yourself on the back along the way, even for the exactly. smallest step. <laughs> yes. My teacher, Jen, she always says, you know, uh, invoke your inner cheerleader. You know, like when we're in our class and we're going through some really tough poses and then we come out of it and then we're like low to the ground. She's like, now invoke your inner cheerleader. Say, yay you, yay you, yay me for showing up today. Yay me for nudging the edge of uncomfortability in that pose. Yay me for, for just being here and being here now, you know, there's no right or wrong way. Every step that we take is a step in the right direction, whether we see it or not, you know. Life is a cha-cha. Sometimes you have it to is. take two steps back to go forward. A thousand percent. <laughs> a thousand percent. You know, it's progress is not linear. It's it's exponential. You know, it's 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 wild. It's wild to to see what we're capable of once you start diving down that rabbit hole and see that we are the infinite creators. We're we're infinite. Yeah, life is pretty beautiful. And also, it's funny that like life is so much in your head like there's obviously like reality in front of us but so much of the things that impact our mood and the things that impact what we're thinking about are up you know in our noggin and if you can change that space and treat your mind like a you know a room that you want to keep tidy and a room that you want to stay on top of like designing to be the most beautiful it can be that will change your like physical reality too, at least in my experience. Um, a thousand was, percent. You got yeah. it. That's it right there. I mean, uh, the big, one of the biggest parts of this journey or whatever you want to call this is, um, is unlearning what you've been taught. It's not necessarily learning new things. It's unlearning the conditionings that, and patterns that we've been conditioned to believe are right quotation marks around right because there is no right or wrong it just is you know by saying something is right or something is wrong that's creating separation within yourself and within the world that's creating duality when in at the end of the day there is no duality it just is it's all one we're all one it's infinite you know now we may not agree with certain things now don't get me wrong and sit up here and say, I condone some of the behaviors and acts that are happening in the world. You know, we all have our opinion, but I try and step away from being so judgmental on it. Now, I don't agree with it, but I still see that person as God. And it's harder to say in certain instances that, oh, I see that person as God. It's harder to say that when something really stomach churning is happening in front of you or you hear somebody's experience it's hard to say oh nope you know that, that's just god expressing himself now you know it's not like that you start to see everyone in their divinity as the divine beings that they are except for that construct of separation good and bad if that makes sense definitely do you have anything else yeah. that you want to add to the listeners um just about life spirituality you know i think a lot of us are struggling with anxiety about the future or work right now it's all love man it's all love at the end of the day that's that's number one love wins love wins and when you really drop into the heart and drop out of the head drop out of the mind and drop down into the heart and allow your heart to be the leader of your life and not your mind and not your compulsive thoughts and behaviors um, and you really learn to lead with the heart and to 
respond instead of react, you can really, really, really open up to the infinite potential that's within you. Beautiful. Well, you guys can find this guy on Instagram if you're interested in getting, you know, any kind of information on meditation, yoga, if you want to have a consultation for intuitive life coaching. What's your handle, Ryan? Uh, it's at this is Ryan Phillip, all one word, one L in Phillip. <laughs> on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> Thank you yep. so much, dude. Like I said, Thank you, I can't believe the journey you've been on. It's fucking amazing. It's beautiful. It's inspiring. <laughs> um, and I just can't see, I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Em. And yeah. I appreciate you having me on. You really inspired me. Um, with the transformation that you're on too, you know, invoke your inner cheerleader and give yourself a bat on the back. I see you, my friend. Oh, thanks. I love you, man. I will I talk you to too. you soon. Thanks Sounds for being good. on here. Aloha. Aloha.